Thursday, October 27th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, and from Motley Fool Pro, Jeff Fisher. Guys, happy Thursday. Chris. Happy Thursday, Chris. Uh, we've got earnings from ExxonMobil, Shell, and Visa, but we are going to start with the big macro. We've got two stories making headlines. Uh, the European leaders have an agreement in place to deal with the sovereign debt crisis. That includes a 50% haircut on the Greek debt. And economic growth in the United States grew 2.5% in the latest quarter. Uh, not huge, but nearly double the rate of the previous quarter. Let's start with the EU first. Uh, Jeff Fisher. Uh, what do you think that uh, of the plan that's in place? Ooh, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer from the start, but <laughs> but you're going to be. Uh, but you're going to do it. <laughs> the stock market is reacting much more positively than the sovereign debt market in Europe is right now. Bond yields on Greece and Italian bonds really haven't moved much at all. They're still near record highs. That the the two year on Greece is seventy six point seven percent to buy that bond. That's uh, high if you don't know. It's a little about high. <laughs> very, very high. So, not seeing the same optimism from the debt markets to me is telling that the stock market may be a little too optimistic right now because the debt market is where the problem is at. If these countries cannot lend money at reasonable rates and their economies are not growing, then the problem doesn't go away. Right. And Joe, I mean, as we were talking about before taping, the, the European leaders, they've, they've essentially got a plan in place. But what they haven't agreed upon is how that plan is going to be executed in terms of the, the haircut that the banks are going to have to Decapitation take. Decapitation yeah. is yeah. more. Yeah. Well, I think the only thing the stock market hates more than a known downside is an unknown. And I think in this case, everyone is just relieved that there seems to be some sort of at least commitment to a plan and a firm number on the Greek debt haircut. I think that had been a big open question mark that people were concerned about. And I think that's great news that we made progress. I do think that it'll be interesting to see how numbers come out at European banks over the next quarter or two, as we actually see what the write downs come in Mm -hmm. uh, at. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these guys hadn't fully written down the debt to market levels. Just call that a hunch that some of these European (laughs) banks haven't done that. So I wouldn't be shocked if some of them got punched in the gut when they report it next. But all in all, it's good news, and it's good to see Europe finally you know, getting together on something that was inevitable. Well, and, and to the point that Jeff made, I mean, certainly the, the reaction in the stock market today, uh, overwhelmingly positive. Uh, just checking the numbers here, uh, in terms of October, the Dow is on pace for its best October ever. The S&P 500 is on pace for its best month in nearly 25 years. So, while this is kicking the can down the road, it's certainly been a great month. <laughs> it, it has. One thing to remember, when the U.S. unveiled TARP in October 2008, the market rallied as well mm-hmm. for a few weeks, and then it went straight down all the way till March 2009. So <laughs> I, I'm not saying that'll happen again. Obviously, nobody knows. Not. But when you have a market up this this much, this quickly, and the problem hasn't actually been resolved, it's been a lot of talk. The, the, the reality is there's no easy way to resolve this right. amount of debt. Now, Greece's debt will be a little bit smaller by 2020 than it would have otherwise been, but it's still a large, enormous amount of debt. Uh, the problem has not gone away. Joe? No, I agree. I mean, it's still very much there. And I think, like we've talked about, you've got some issues with Italy and Spain. You know, They're basically next on deck. And it's ironic that you've got some struggling European countries that are, you know, at least tangentially supposedly going to be contributing to help bail out other struggling European countries. You know, Germany's backstopping this whole thing. But all in all, I do think today 
the market is right to be happy. I do think we still have a lot of major issues, though. And in terms of the GDP numbers, uh, what do we make of that? Well, it turns out the world isn't ending. Uh, that that <laughs> always, was a nice surprise. Always a nice headline to see. Yeah, but seriously, the stock market over the past couple of weeks has bounced back. But I would say at the start of the month, it was basically priced as though we were heading into a nasty, nasty recession. The market was actually 18% below where it was four years ago, despite the fact that S&P 500 earnings were up 3%. So those GDP numbers basically just reflect that the economy actually, while still weak, is coming back online. And there are signs that we're not you know, falling backwards. Jeff? Yeah, this 2.5% gain is historically modest at this stage of a so-called recovery, but Joe's right, it's it's at least a bit of good news. The issue is... Modest is the new good. Un- yes. Yeah, exactly. Unemployment is not improving yet, or employment is not improving yet. Hopefully that'll follow. One thing to keep in mind is that after the tsunami, GDP dipped down, and now this is a bit of a bump up following that. So... We need to see some numbers on a on a smooth basis without unusual events <laughs> if we can ever get get there. Big day for big oil. ExxonMobil's profit rose 41% in the third quarter, and Royal Dutch Shell's third quarter profit doubled. So, Joe, I guess somebody loves higher energy prices. Yeah, yeah. You know, those numbers sound great. Uh, the stocks don't move like that, though, because that's I was going to how... say, the stocks really haven't moved all that much today. Yeah, big oil is pretty sticky. Like, it doesn't rise and and drop with oil and gas prices like a lot of the smaller players and that's because they're more diverse and they have a stronger balance sheet and so they're not as volatile i mean all in all good news for those guys but i wouldn't expect whiz bang results out of them both because they don't move as much and also they're not growing they're not able to keep uh, growing their production of assets like smaller players can and they didn't report earnings, but uh, BP did make news uh, because BP got its first drilling permit in the Gulf of Mexico uh, since the spill last year. Um, when you look at the sort of the big oil landscape, uh, companies like ExxonMobil, uh, BP, Shell, um, you could even throw Chevron in there. Is there one that you particularly like over the next few years from the standpoint of the stock? Obviously, Exxon is the largest company in the world by market cap. So uh, if you're looking for a lot of growth out of ExxonMobil, you're, you're probably looking in the wrong place. Yeah, I would think that Exxon is definitely the best in terms of execution, but I'd probably bet on BP out of the group. I still think people are baking in too much of an assumption on the whole you know, Gulf of Mexico incident cost-wise. Mm-hmm. I ran those numbers about a year ago and basically concluded that what you were going to see was that Transocean and the other partners involved. We're going to have to eat a lot of the cost. And basically, you're just going to see over time that it turns out the expense wasn't anywhere near as high as people initially might thought it'd be. And again, it gets back to that just question of uncertainty. You know, people hate unknowns in the stock market and they'll avoid it at all costs because they don't want to look bad if they own something and something goes uh, poorly against them. But in this case, I think that it's going to turn out not nearly as bad as people think and that among the big oil players, at least, it'll be a nice high returner. Jeff, you got a stock in the big oil sector that you like? One way I like to invest in oil is through an ETF. In Pro, we bought the Vanguard Energy ETF. The mm-hmm. ticker is VDE. It owns all the U.S. conglomerates, all the giant companies. It's concentrated. The top 10 positions make up 60% of the fund. So you have ExxonMobil, Chevron. You're, you're betting on every horse Conoco. in the race. <laughs> you are. You are. And it it, it does well, obviously, as well as, as long as energy and oil does well, and it, it spreads your risk. So if any one of them has a blow up, it won't hit. You Hypothetically, <laughs> Hypothetically, yes. 
Expense ratio, very small, 0.2%. It's Vanguard, low turnover. So I'm not an oil and gas expert. So this is how Pro bought into the industry, and it's it's gone. It's done well. Uh, finally, Visa reported a 14% increase in fourth quarter profit thanks to an increase in debit and credit card activity. Uh, Joe, revenues were below what Wall Street was expecting. What do you think of the quarter? I thought it was pretty strong. I mean, on a fundamental basis, they had solid growth. Earnings per share was up mid-teens. They guided mid-teens growth again next year, and I think you're going to see them post that kind of growth for a long time to come. I mean, they bumped their dividend up 40, 47% a couple of weeks ago, which is pretty remarkable. They were buying back some more shares, which we talked about yesterday. Share repurchases are not always a good move yes, by management Not teams. an automatic slam dunk. No, but I do think the shares are cheap right now, and so I do think that's a nice use of capital. And they just generate so much cash that they need to get it back to shareholders in a way it's responsible, and I think that's a good one. Uh, with the, the cap on uh, fees when it comes to debit cards, um, shouldn't all of these companies, Visa, MasterCard, uh, Discover, shouldn't all of them be looking to push people back over to the credit card business? Isn't that just sort of the, isn't that an inherently good move to sort of dissuade people from using debit cards? Well, Joe can talk to, to Visa's point about this, but MasterCard has a small debit card business, so this is benefiting them. Visa really has dominant market share in the U.S. in the debit card business, and the Durban Amendment opens that market up, whereas mm-hmm. before Visa had exclusive agreements with the banks. Now MasterCard can go in there and take some of that market share. So to your point, though, Chris, it shouldn't change the equation that much. They'll find ways to make money this either way, whether you use credit or debit. Yeah, I think in both their cases, people overestimated how badly they get hurt by the Durban Amendment, especially Visa, because it has a higher proportion of sales coming in through debit. But actually, only about 20% of sales for Visa related to North American debit. And they've already discovered some nice little workarounds. That's the cute way to put it about how they're going to get around those new fees. And I mean, trust me, these guys are so innovative. They're still going to get theirs. (laughs) The banks are. When will the government learn you can't impose new fees? It'll always come comes back to the consumer. Nothing amuses me more than when the government tries to regulate a savvy financial institution. (laughs) Like they're going to put something on Goldman, for example, that they're not going to be able to work around. Good luck with that. They'll they'll package it into into something and sell it to somebody else as a swap at some point. Um, Visa and MasterCard were also in the news uh, because Neiman Marcus announced that starting November 1st, uh, Neiman Marcus uh, used to only accept American Express or cash. Uh, Starting November 1st, Neiman Marcus will also accept Visa and MasterCard. Um, And uh, a great quote from the CEO, Karen Katz, uh, she said, Quote, we'd love to invite new affluent customers into Neiman Marcus, and this gives them the possibility of shopping with us. Is that, I don't know, is that a little, is that a little bit Do of a... Do we feel left out? I yeah. feel left out. It's just... You How know, do you qualify for affluent? I don't is know. It, I mean, would, wouldn't it just be better to say, listen, you know... Come on in. Well, they're trying we'll to... take all comers. Give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. As long as they've got Visa and MasterCard, <laughs> come on in and shop. Not Discover, though. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> oh my gosh. They're trying to be an aspirational ba- uh, brand, of course, and bring in people who want to be uh, so that, themselves yeah, up. Well, the fact that they're just now getting around to accepting Visa, which is the most commonly accepted card on the planet, and MasterCard is, speaks pretty well to how they're a little bit out of touch. A little bit. Well, and maybe it's it's that they're um, they're seeing their margins shrink, or they're just like, yeah, maybe it'd be better if we actually accepted 
more sources of payment. It's, it's a good. It's a good point to the potential that Visa and MasterCard still have. However, that eighty five percent of transactions in the world are still done in cash. Even in the U.S., more than sixty percent of transactions are cash and check. So there's so much room for all these brands to grow. That's why I think, as Joe alluded to earlier, I think Visa and MasterCard and Amex all have plenty of room to run. So, and if you're affluent now, you can yeah, yeah, exactly. go to Neiman Marcus. You're, you're more than welcome to shop at Neiman Marcus. Uh, just to wrap up, obviously, uh, Neiman Marcus is sort of a, a luxury brand. Um, and thinking in terms of apparel, I'll just give you like 10, 15 seconds. Make a pitch for your apparel retailer of choice. Who are you going with, you know, Jeff? I've only been there once, but it was a great experience. Men's Warehouse. Early this year, I needed a suit. My really? brother and I both needed a suit quickly. We went. Uh, this was in Aurora, Illinois, and they were extremely Which is a suburb helpful. of Chicago. That's right. Uh, where they did Bill and Ted's Adventure or something. Wayne's Excellent. World. Wayne's, Wayne's World. World. Okay, close. <laughs> <laughs> totally they were different great. Films. Great. <laughs> yeah, same genre. Yeah, exactly. Same era, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> great customer service. Decent yep. suit. Good prices. Men's Warehouse. It it, it did us right. All right. Joe? Uh, bonobos.com. Basically, they sell... Bonobos? What? Bonobos. They sell... Bless you? High, <laughs> very funny. They sell uh, high-quality clothes for athletic guys in their 20s and 30s. That's their target market. Love the clothes. Yeah, man, I'm being excluded from everything. I'm Athletic, know. affluent. I'm wearing them 20s right and now. 30s? <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing these flannel line khakis. Unbelievable. It's like I'm wearing pajamas, Where's but looking classy. Where's the out-of-shape middle, middle-aged? Where do I shop? I guess apparently, Banana Republic. <laughs> apparently, Men's Warehouse. Although, if you go to the, uh, what, it, but how do you pronounce it? Bonobos. Bonobos. B O N O. Like the chimp. B O S. Uh, if you go to Bonobos, I uh, went to the website and pulled up uh, uh, something called Photosyntapants, which are quite frankly the ugliest pair of pants I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, it basically looks like uh, what is that? Camouflage? How would we describe? Beauty that? is in the eye of the beholder. I think that's uh, fantastic uh, nightwear. I think. Uh, yeah. Or. Frankly, I don't know. Maybe a costume party if you want to go as as. It's it's not fair that listeners can't see the the picture. Weeds or ivy. Just go to bonobos.com. Photosyntapants. Awesome word. Joe Mager, Jeff Fisher. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Be sure to check out The Motley Fool Money radio show this weekend. That's Motley Fool Money on iTunes, online, and on radio stations across America. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. It is the final day to vote on podcastawards.com. Please, if you haven't already. If you've put it off this long. (laughs) Come on. October 27th, the final day to vote at podcastawards.com for Market Foolery. Thanks to everyone who's voted so far. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. 